Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Natural Running Network. My name is Richard Diaz, and what I hope to do is introduce you to some amazing athletes and luminaries from the sports science community, and what has come to be expected, I'll provide some highly opinionated rants on all aspects of endurance sports and my current favorite, obstacle course racing. But before I get started, I want to give a shout out to Human Octane. If you're the kind of person who pushes the limit, then you've got to check out Human Octane Apparel. Training and racing apparel designed by OCR athletes, and these guys just get it. Everything they make dries lightning fast, has zippered pockets, is abrasion resistant in high contact areas without bulky padding. I've gotten to know these guys, and trust me, they're going to out-innovate the competition when it comes to OCR gear. Check them out at humanoctane.com. Now sit tight, grab a cup of coffee, and let's do this. Here we go. I've got the great fortune of having Chris Chapman on line with me. I could tell you all kinds of things about Chris, but I'm going to let him do it for you. Chris, say hello to everybody. Hey, everybody. Thanks, Richard, for having me on. This is uh, this is exciting. Well, I do it for you, buddy. <laughs> Thanks. So you want to hear a little bit about me? I do. Okay, cool. So as Richard, you said, I'm Chris Chapman. Uh, my wife, Sarah, and I have three boys. Andrew's 10, Michael's 8, and Joseph's 4, so those guys keep us busy, and hopefully my 4-year-old doesn't bother us during this call. He's he's watching Power Rangers right now. Gosh, that's what I want to do. <laughs> uh, you've probably seen me, seen us at races, um, anywhere within like a 10-hour drive. We're, we're known for basically hitting the road on the weekends and, and being gone. 10-hour drive from where, Chris? Uh, Cincinnati. Cincinnati, Ohio. So anywhere around there, we've We've put some miles on our van the past few years. What's the weather like out there right now? Uh, Today is awesome. It's like, uh, I don't know, 50s, close to 60 degrees. It's it's warmer there than it is here right now. (laughs) Yeah, we've got plants already starting to bloom, so that's that's probably not a good thing necessarily. I'll take the weather. Uh, Besides that is when it comes to racing. Uh, I was fourth at the Ultra Beast last year. That was my first race at that distance. Uh, hit the podium six of nine times at OCR events and uh, was always up there for the, the trail races I ran. Uh, and people also have seen me taking Robert Coble's place as an official. So I officiated six Spartan races last year, anywhere from City Field in New York to the uh, SoCal Beast. Uh, so that was, that was good to see all sorts of, all sorts of the country and, kind of look at the the races from uh, a different angle, a different perspective, see what goes on behind the scenes. I mean, the people at Spartan put a ton of effort, a ton of work into these races. It's just, it's unbelievable. How do you like that work? You know, I like it. There's, there's part of me that when the gun goes off, like wants to jump and jump into the race, but at the same time, it's fun watching, watching everybody perform um, and seeing, seeing your friends get on the podium and being able to hand them a block of wood uh, or a coin, whatever the case may be, and just seeing people accomplish their goals. So I, I really enjoy officiating. Okay. I'm not going to lie to you. I, I'm a terrible spectator. <laughs> and I'm even worse as a competitor. So I don't know what I'm doing in this game. But I feel well, obligated. I feel obligated yeah. to attend events when they're near enough. Because, obviously enough, I've got clients out there that are fighting the good fight and being able to see them do their thing. And them knowing I'm there uh, probably gives them a little bit of a boost as well. So, uh, love the sport, love the competition, and uh, really enjoy seeing the outcome as well. So, let's let's get to the gist of what this is going to be all about today. Cool. All right, let's do it. So, so yeah, so, you want to... no, let's let you start. Okay. So I reached out to you when you started talking about running clinics. I was like, we need to get you to Cincinnati and, you know, put, put a feeler out there. It looked like we got some pretty good feedback. Uh, so now we're scheduled to have you visit Cincinnati and visit some family while you're here, uh, the weekend of May 6th and 7th. Uh, so that's, 
that's exciting. I think that's also a weekend that you know we've got a, a marathon going on, but I think our audience, our OCR audience, is not jumping into the the local marathon that weekend. Yeah, OCR people don't like roads. <laughs> I tell you what, I did a half marathon last year and it beat me up. Man, I just can't do it. <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, you're coming here and I've got questions, you know, you've been putting information out there about the clinic, but I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. I know that I know that I want you to be out here and I think other people would just benefit by you know, and I benefit also by understanding kind of what's going to go on during the clinic. What are we looking at for day one? What are we looking at for day two? Um, and, and how that's going to go. I mean, just from logistics, you know, who needs to watch my kids for how long to, you know, wh- what am I going to be walking away with? All right. Uh, well, let's start. Let's start this way. Let's just start with explaining what day one's going to look like. And then talk about what day two is going to look like. And then maybe try to talk about what the takeaway is from the whole adventure. I like it. And then I will stop you if I have any questions. That would be great. All right, so let's tell you how it works. I typically roll into um, a trip like this the day before go time. Um, just kind of get a lay of the land. And we typically will find a hotel as a host that has a few treadmills in a fitness gym that they allow us to use. And we've had really good luck with residents in Marriott. Every place we go, it's been cool because it's kind of a cookie cutter. We almost know going in exactly what kind of space we're going to have available to us, and it works out perfectly. Um, It's interesting that most people that stay at those type of uh, hotels don't really exercise so we're not really getting in anybody's way but yeah but what we do is uh, we get set up and generally we get set up early in the morning and all of the uh, assessments that are going to be conducted that day are done by appointment so when people register with us by phone we will speak with them and explain to them the time of day that we're going to test them you know, based on first come, first serve, and what they can expect once they show up for that appointment. Now, the first test is a resting metabolic assessment. We like to get people to come in relatively fasted, not completely fasted, but relatively fasted, no caffeine, you know, not your typical throw down five cups of coffee and then try to come get this resting test. Got it, yep. And and that test takes about 15 minutes. Um, From that, we are going to gather some really good information about energy demand. After that test has been completed, we'll kind of glaze over the information, and then if they set up for the VO2, we go right on to that VO2 test. Once we have both of those tests underway and we've got the data collected from both of those tests, we will sit down with the individual and explain to them what it is we see what it is we feel they should be doing. We love feedback from the individuals in respect to what their plans are with their racing and training, pitfalls, circumstances that they were facing with their racing and training. We talk about some nutritional concerns, things that they should be looking at in respect to the way they feed, how often, how much, uh, where the substrates need to come from. We talk about heart rate response. We talk about all the things that are relative to metabolic consequence of work. Now, what's really interesting about this adventure is that we encourage people, if they have the time, to hang around and watch others as they're being tested. Because it's one thing to be tested. It's another thing to sit on the outside and watch others be tested because I'm able to explain what's going on during the test from that uh, voyeur perspective. And the the more you see it, the more you come to understand what it all means and what benefit comes from it. And everybody is unique, and the approach to every individual is unique, meaning that some people do better 
with a little bit more warm-up time. Some people do better on higher inclines. Some people do better with higher speeds. And essentially the way I work is I, I play people like tuning a violin. And then we gather the information, and the more you see, the more you start to get it. Where in most settings where you get tested, you get tested, maybe the clinician will spend some time with you, maybe not, and then you're on your way home. And most often I find that it's left wanting and leaves people a bit confused about the information. And the information is of no value to you unless you know how to put it to play. And that's what I try to make sure we do, is we want to make sure that when you leave, you know how to use this information to get to a better place with your training and your racing. I mean, that's that's what I'm looking to get out of this more than just a number. I've not had my VO2 tested. Um, and frankly, you know, my understanding is it's pretty much static once you once you get your number. You can't adjust it by huge leaps and bounds other than that Matt guy, he made some leaps yeah. and bounds said. Um, so it's, it's all that other information that's sitting down with you. That that's the exciting part to really understand, you know, here's what I've been seeing in my training. Does that line up kind of with what you're seeing when it comes to the, the charts and the graphs and the, the data that the, the test is putting out? Well, the important thing to consider is uh, you're, you're somewhat <laughs> right about the notion that, the uh, VO2 doesn't change much. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really is relative to where you are time and space when we do the test. So if you come in pretty fit, meaning that you're, you've are you pretty much achieved the greatest level of fitness that you can achieve. And mm-hmm. uh, believe me when I tell you it's got to do with how old you are, the intensity in your training, and all those factors. But um, that fitness value is really not as important to me as the information that we gain from midway in the test, which is basically your metabolic turn point, when your body goes away from being effective in fat utilization to being exclusive in sugar utilization. With that bit of information, we can really do a great deal of good in respect to writing program giving you a sense of what you should be doing when and what's going to happen because you did. So let me give you an example. Let's just say that we find your metabolic turn point, meaning that at this particular point in the road, you're now 100% into your sugar stores. Now mm-hmm. let's, let's call that 150 beats per minute just to have a number on it. Okay. And let's say that your caloric expense at that point in the road is um, 800 calories per hour. That's the cost of doing that work. And all of that energy is coming from your sugar stores. Now, the thing to, re- to keep in mind is that you're, there's a very limited amount of sugar on the body. What is it, like 300 to 400 calories or something? No, 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 no. Your oh. sugar stores within the liver, bloodstream, and musculature can be as great as 1,600, 1,800 calories. Depends on the individual. But take into account, too, that going into the exercise session, how much sugar is available in the body relative to how your body has been using energy up to that point is of great concern, which draws us back to the importance of the resting test. Now, I tested a gentleman yesterday, by the way, mm-hmm. and we found that while he was at rest, his body was almost exclusively using sugar because of the way he had been feeding himself. He was on a really high-protein diet. Very, very low carbohydrate. And this type of diet forces you into gluconeogenesis, which in turn causes you to manufacture sugar. And you do that because sugar is necessary. And the way you come about that is by basically munching up lean tissue, which means you're losing muscle to to supplement the need for sugar. Now, we wake up in the morning and you go into a workout and you're depleted from your sugar stores already. It's a hellbound train. So we needed to make some adjustments to his nutrition, and we also were hoping to improve upon our fat utilization in training and racing. So what I would do with him is I would prescribe some very, very specific intensities 
over the course of his training with the intent of encouraging better fat utilization while he's training or racing. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, in the beginning, we spoke of being at 150 beats per minute, and that'd be the turn point where you're all into your sugar stores. Well, we could, through training, cause that to maybe spare 30% of the energy from your sugar stores. And eventually, maybe even as much as 50 or 60% of that energy would be spared from your sugar stores. And spared means now you're accessing fat for energy. And you have an unlimited supply of energy available from fat. So knowing this and making the proper adjustments in your training can have huge implication in your ability to sustain efforts. You talked to me about racing a beast, which means you're going to need to have that sugar store available. Mm -hmm. And being able to spare it for the greatest length of time possible and not sacrificing your pace to do it is a really, really big deal. How am I Excellent. doing so far? No, you're you're good, and and that break point is what's interesting because of the some of the you know, research I've been doing and trying to ultimately try to increase that threshold. Now, technically, is that the lactate threshold when it goes to 100 percent, or how do you define? Just curious, how you define lactate threshold right. or the different thresholds? That's a really that, good question, and. You know, just for consumer edification, when we speak of lactate threshold, what we're really talking about is the way we arrive at that conclusion of lactate threshold. It usually speaks of having bloodletting, so Mm -hmm. blood sampling in order to measure how many millimoles of lactate are resident in the bloodstream during the test. And when we speak of anaerobic threshold, we're talking about ventilatory consequence, which is what I do. We do this through what is referred to as direct gas analysis. Now, so no, so you're not going to be poking us with needles. I'm not going to poke you with a needle. <laughs> okay. and, and it's good to know because some people feel like if they're not poked with a needle, that the, the information is not valid, where, okay. where in fact that's not the case. What happens is we're looking at markers of lactate production through the production of uh, carbon dioxide. Okay. And carbon dioxide is a marker that lactate is present. It's the way that your body vacates that lactate from your body through respiration. And so by measuring the carbon dioxide production, we get a sense of what the lactate looks like within the system. And the other end of it is with a anaerobic tests like we're doing, we're going to be able to get what is referred to as VO2 max. Now, when you talk about VO2 max, that's the maximum amount of oxygen your body can process relative to your mass in kilos of body weight per minute. And when you talk about bloodletting, there is no ventilatory consequence in there. If you're not doing a direct gas analysis in concert with that bloodletting, then you're leaving some of the information off the table. So, for example, if I was just doing blood testing, Mm -hmm. the procedure is to take a sample of blood every two minutes over the course of a step test. Okay. And and what ends up happening is your heart rate may shift by 10 beats or more in the course of that two minutes if I'm increasing the work over the period of that time where with the direct gas analysis, we're looking at incremental changes in your heart rate and incremental changes in the amount of carbon dioxide production, and we're looking at it every 15 seconds. So it's a lot more precise in respect to determining where these shift points uh, took place. Wow, yeah. And and I I gotta tell you, Chris, and I, I probably said this way too many times, but I've been testing athletes for over 20 years, and if there was a point in the road where I felt like, oh, my God, I'm dropping the ball if I don't take blood, I'd have done it already. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd have done it a long time ago because the cost for me to, to add that component to the testing procedure is not so great that it would be you know, a cost factor that keeps me from doing it. It just doesn't make any sense for me to go through that extra step when I know I'm really getting great information from what I do. So that's day one. We go through this whole okay. testing process. 
we, we talk about heart rate. We talk about when and what to do with your heart rate. Uh, all the implications relative to heart rate and metabolic cost of work. Day two is all about efficiency. We're going to work on making modifications to running gait so that we are learning to reduce the potential for injury and produce greater force production and thus greater speeds economically. And so if you looked at it from a broad perspective, day one is all about finding economy. What is it going to take for us to be more economical? Day two is about mechanical efficiency. When you get mechanical efficiency, you improve your economy. When you understand the heart rate responses that create economy, you gain efficiency. The two things together, I was going to talk about Aunt Jemima pancakes and syrup, whatever, but, <laughs> but at the end of the day, they, they work very synergistically together. That's the word I guess I'm looking for. And well, I think I've kind of hit this. You almost hit a plateau, and it's it's how can you make improvements? Is it in your diet at that point with fueling, or really does it come down to your efficiency as a runner? So are you following good mechanics? Are you Are you breaking every time you take a step? If you're doing that, then you're – ultimately fighting your, your own momentum. So by improving your, your form and in that piece of it, yeah, you're going to become more efficient that way and see your, your pace drop. You're right. You're right. And, and so there's so many variables that get in front of our performances, but the critical ones really kind of get back to those two things, the how economically you're able to function and how efficiently you're able to function. And what I try to do is get the, the big points handled. So there are other issues. I mean, obviously, if you're not sleeping well and not sleeping well could could have to do with how much training you're doing or your inability to, to feed properly, um, the stress in your life. I mean, there's so many variables that get in front of performance. But at the end of the day, if we're able to sleep well, we're feeding well, and we get out there and run properly – things start to happen. They start to really make a big, big difference. So essentially what I do is I try to help people optimize their performance. And it's been a big deal, especially for the OCR community, because I've been working exclusively with that community for the last couple of years now. And it's really, uh, we talked about this the other day. Mm-hmm. I don't believe there's anybody in the world at this point in time that has as much clinical experience with this segment of athletes, period. I've done, I've done more testing on OCR athletes than probably anybody else in the world. I know that's a real heavy statement to make. And somebody might call me and say, well, what about me? You know, I'm, I've been doing all this. But so far, to my knowledge, I don't think there's anybody that's been breaking it down for this group of people as – often and as effectively as I have. Well, there's a reason I, I reached out to you and didn't run up to uh, the local university and try to get a test there. So, Well, it's a different experience. I promise you it's a completely different experience. I understand, I mean, as a coach and having worked with so many of these athletes at this point in time, I get it. I know what you guys are up against. I know the nature of the animal and I know the types of things I need to key into when I'm offering prescription and explaining what it is you should or should not be doing. And going back to day two again, one of the things that we hope to do is aside from working on uh, running efficiency, we're, wanna, we're gonna take it to the terrain. Assuming right. that you have a location for me to do that, we are going to take a look at what it looks like to go uphill, downhill, running on uh, various challenging terrains and finding the most efficiency relative to those type of circumstances. Excellent. Well, I do have some ideas for locations, which we can discuss offline, but um, yeah, so well, that's, that's well, also a key component there. It's how, how quickly can you get up this hill or how, what's the best huge, method huge. for getting up that hill? It's huge. Or, and then when you go down, you know, how can I pass people when I'm going down the hill instead of, you know, trying to be all safe and well, not, not only that, just jacking yourself up on, yeah, the, on the way right. down a hill and finding right. out that when you get to the bottom of the hill that you don't have any legs left to run with, <laughs> yeah. and that happens. Or going over top of the hill too hard and finding out that you're so 
acidic that you can't get your mojo working after you come off the top of the hill. Right, and right. So I, believe me, this is what I do. This is, and I work with some of the best athletes in the sport, and I understand these challenges. And this is what I'm bringing to the table. I'm going to, I'm going to take it home. I'm going to, I'm going to look at the clinical evaluations. I'm going to look at the, uh, you know, we're going to do video analysis of the way each individual is moving. We're going yeah. To, when does when does that happen? It's going to happen uh, on day two. Day two. Okay. So it's the first thing I do. Incidentally, we do video analysis of everyone. And then after we've got video on everyone, we start breaking it down and showing them. We're, we're going to do it personally. So, for example, when you run, I'm going to sit with you. I'm going to show you the video. I'm going to point out the things that I think are keeping you from performing. And then we're going to talk about all the solutions to correct these problems. And we, okay. do, we do it in group at that point. But uh, I do go through individually with everyone and show them what it is that's unique about the way they're moving and what it is that's unique that they need to change. Got it. So, so day two is not going to be like a 10 mile run. We're all going to go out on it. No, no, not at all. Not in at what? All. Everything's yeah. going to be a very controlled effort, very controlled environment. I'm not going to chase you up and down trail. I'm too old and fat to do that. <laughs> okay. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to have you present yourself to me in various circumstances and video when necessary, critique when necessary, stop you, counsel you, and, and what I hope to do and what I've shown to be able to do on many, many, many different occasions is everybody that comes in goes away running better. It's wild. It's wild. We stood, we stood back in many occasions and looked at the group running um, after the treatment and how much difference there was in the way everybody was moving. It really is a very powerful thing. That's why I'm so... So bent on doing it. Believe, can I tell you the truth? Mm-hmm. If I stay home, I make a better living. Okay. It, okay. Co- it costs me more to go out on the road and try to make these pilgrimages than it does to just sit right here and let people come and see me. Yeah, I'm, I hear you. But the truth of the matter is I do it because I'm very passionate about it. I love going out there in the field and working with these people. And meeting all these new people in all points of the country, so it's it's a it's a big deal for me, and I you know I, I get a lot of reward from it, especially when I know that I'm helping so many athletes improve, and uh, I just love the sport. I just love the sport, and I think uh, I'll do it till I die, See. which might be nice. next week. Well, let's not. Let's hope not. You know, we got. <laughs> yeah, you already got. I already got your money, huh? You can't, Come on. I got to stay healthy for a little while longer. That's right. Right. Can we talk about some of the other dates just so that people kind of wrap their head around this? Yeah, yeah right. I don't have them. Yeah, I rattle. do. I got them right in front of me. Okay. So what's coming up next, by the way, is Kansas City. And got a great group of people out there. This is a lock. We've already got our, our, our plane tickets and hotel accommodations. Everything's good to go. We're, we're locked in. This is April 1st and 2nd. And we are very, very nearing the deadline with this. I extended the deadline because I know some people were sitting on the fence, and I'm hoping that this little show we're doing is going to help them better understand what it is they're lining up for, and they'll get off their butts. But I'm going to shut it down pretty soon because we've made the numbers we need to make. And then we have Tampa, which is scheduled the very next weekend, which is April 8th and 9th. Now, We've tried a couple different occasions to get out to Florida. One thing or another got in the way, and we never able to do it. And we're making a second attempt with the same group of people, and we're hoping this is going to come together. But I don't know. Um, if you're listening, folks, out that way, you got to get on it, man. You're going to have to get up, get get it registered, do it now. Don't wait because if I have to shut it down, I will. If I've got to shoot out some refunds, I will. But looking to go to Tampa. And well, that, let's, let's, let's stop there for a minute. So, I mean, looking at what we're going to benefit from, I mean, that's what I think people need to realize. One, in my mind, they're going to learn to run more efficiently, so their pace is going to go down. They're not going to get injured as easily because their body is working properly. Um, two or three, they're going to have numbers in which they can work with. Um, whether that's nutrition numbers or uh, heart rate numbers. So they're going to be able to train more effectively. So it's like there, there are all these things that 
all these benefits that we're getting out of this. And I just, that's why when I look at, you know, the, the investment into this, it makes a lot of sense because ultimately I want to be running when I'm 60, 70, you know, even older than that. But if I don't have proper form, I'm going to be beating up my body over the years. And I've seen what happens when people do that. So I don't want to be in that position. Yeah, all you got to do is look at me. <laughs> I don't want to be in that position. <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you, I, listen, I, I had a pull short on a run I did yesterday. I'm having some trouble with my hip. Now, okay. I have done a great deal of modification to the way I personally move. But when I was your age, all the mistakes I made are starting to show themselves. And, and you've got to get in front of that type of damage when you're young. You've got to get in front of all – I mean, sure, you, you have a little knee issue, you get through it. You have another knee issue, you get through it. You have a – you've got a little problem with your hip or your back, you get through it. But all these little insults to your body start adding up. And when you get to my age, you know, I'll be 65 this year. Can't even, mm-hmm. I don't even know how to say that. <laughs> but when you get to my age, it, you know, that's that's the gift that doesn't doesn't stop giving. I mean, you're, you're going to find that it gets harder and harder and harder. And, and I'll tell you, I, I thought I was retired from running at 36 years old with a knee issue running a marathon. And, really? and I look back at those old, uh, you know, race shots of me heel striking, overstriding, and mm-hmm. wondering why my knee kept hurting. And I did like most people do. I would adjust the volume. I'd back off for a week and rest and go through all this stuff. And with time, I learned what the correct method of running is. And I gained a whole new lease on life. I gained probably 20 years of the ability to run where if I kept doing what I was doing back when I was younger, there's no way in hell that I'd still have the ability to run. Well, well, that's, I think, the thing people don't understand is running – is as much a skill sport as baseball, football, any other sport out there, but we don't treat it as a skill sport. Right. We don't practice the proper form. Now, is there a method or a form of running that you latched onto or, or try to prescribe? When well, you're, I, I got to tell you, I've studied, I've studied all of, all of the different methodologies in approaches to running mechanics. I, mm-hmm. Early on, I worked with the guys at Newton when they first came out and were doing running clinics and really looked at that. That was kind of interesting because it opened me up to some other very talented people. Danny Dreyer, the guy that came out with the Chi running. I did mm-hmm. some work with Mark Kukazella. did some things with um, Jay Desherry, who's one of the you know famed uh, uh, clinical analysis in the country. Okay. Um Various people out there in the world, uh, uh, Romanoff and the pose running, I've I've played with all of that. And and so what I've tried to do is I've tried to glean what I find is important and let go of what I felt is not. And I've developed a system of teaching running mechanics that I found to be very effective. And generally, when someone comes to see me, privately and we do a video of the way they ran when they walked in and a video of the way they run when they leave there's such a stark difference in improvement that it's it's laughable the people go man look at how much better i've got and and it's just in a matter of a few hours of making these adjustments and then it's a function of them just hanging on to the information and really practicing what we all talked about and then all these all these uh, beautiful outcomes come about. But mm-hmm. and, and so you're going to give us some some tips or you know some drills that we can do on our own. Absolutely, after. yeah. There's going to be a lot of really good working information to take home, or what you call takeaways. Mm-hmm. People are going to come away from this thing lit up. They're going to have so much information to work with. It's almost going to be overwhelming. And especially where the the clinical work is concerned, it's really important if people have the opportunity to hang out. We, we make a party. We're going to have a good time with it. We're going to learn. We're going to spend time in group. I mean, a lot of you guys are friends, so you see your friend mm-hmm. getting tested. You find out why he's beating you, why you're not beating him. 
what you need to do to beat him. And yep. and all this stuff is good, good, good stuff. And we did this uh, last year in Austin, Texas, with Yancey and, and a bunch of his people. And what's really kind of cool is that now it's been about a year or so since – well, no, I take it back because I went to Dallas. But um, I've had clients that I've worked with now out of that, that, that area of the country where they've got about a year under their belts practicing what they learned. And it's been fun to watch how much improvement they've been able to put together. And believe me, if anybody on the fence going, ah, should I go see this guy, whatever – Reach out to anybody that's been to one of the clinics and ask them. I don't fear that at all. We've got about 100% product satisfaction with the people that attended these clinics. Well, I, I'll be honest. I'm afraid of racing some of those guys. <laughs> it's like they've got something I don't have. Yeah, that's, well, that's gonna we're going to even the playing field. Excellent. That's what I need. Did you see the, the comment I made on Facebook the other day? I forgot the fellow's name that, that registered from your part of the woods. But I told him that he needs to put a smiley face on his back <laughs> so his friends have something to look at when they're trying to to catch him. Yep. And I told him, make it big, because when you oh, start yeah. to drop them, they're going to need, need to be able to still see it. <laughs> and I think Jeremy would do that. So. Well, That'd I think he should, you know what? I think that should be the new thing. Everybody that <laughs> attends a clinic, I'm going to put a happy face on their back. <laughs> Maybe we should tattoo it or something. Or no, go. we'll get one of those big appliques, right? One of those like um, you know, temporary tattoos. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. None of these little like DHE tattoos. Oh. We need like a big old happy face on the back there. No shit. I, I said, I'm gonna have to put that in play. <laughs> Do that. Don't you So think? that's something else you're gonna give away is a big old tattoo. So I like it. Okay. I'm gonna have to look I'm into gonna... that. Okay. Well I know I use a, a site called Stray Tat. For all my uh, for all my temporary tattoos. Oh, you can order them from them. Yeah, like stray cats, only it's stray tats. Send me the cool. link. Okay, we'll send do. Me, send me the link because I got to get that done. Yeah, you just upload an image and you ship it out. Oh to you. man, sweet. Yeah, well that's good stuff. Um, so how long does the the just looking at timing? When time do you usually start your testing on the first day? Uh, it depends on how many people we're going to test, but I like to start early. I like to get started about six in the morning. Got it. Perfect. And okay. then, and then, you know, we try to usually, if everything goes as it should, we're going to run through about ten people that day, and okay. that's that's going to take me right up to to dinner. Oh, okay. So yeah, I mean, you're spending a decent amount of time with everybody. There, I'm going to work my butt off, man. Yeah, people are get getting their money's worth when they when I they, when I when I get get home, I need two days to recover. <laughs> Seriously, I believe it. I, I mean, you're on out. the. Oh. And we try to we try to go out and and do like a little group thing afterwards. Maybe catch dinner or you know a couple beers someplace afterwards. <laughs> and that way, you know, people just in a casual setting want to ask questions, any kind of questions. I mean, I, I've been doing some pretty cool stuff in this business for a while, so there's a lot of people that have questions and. Sometimes they might be intimidated to ask them in that in that that business setting, but you get a beer in them, and you know they sure. they shoulder up next to you and they start getting to be your buddy and they ask you questions and we love doing that. We love doing that. We want to have a good time with everybody. Um, so well, it's I'm not like it's not like going to the dentist's office, right? No, no. Well, and I'm kind of curious to hear how your testing of OCR athletes has been comparing to uh, just your standard runners, because you mentioned that you're seeing some interesting things in the results. There's some like, really interesting results that are coming of it, almost to the point where I'm starting to second-guess the equipment. Okay. Because these guys tend to be very, very aerobic, and I think it has much to do with the, the training modalities, the way they're approaching their training. Mm -hmm. and, and keep in mind, and, I, and we talked about this briefly, but just for those that don't know, I did testing uh, under contract for ESPN Sports Science. I've tested all kinds of unique athletes, and I'm talking about some of the best athletes on the planet. I've also tested for professional hockey teams. I've tested professional boxers, world champions, by the way, professional cyclists. So I've had like a whole gamut of experience with people that I've tested. And there's some blaringly obvious results coming away from the tests I've done on OCR athletes. And I mean, I literally had a conversation with the manufacturers of my equipment on the phone saying, 
I don't know what it is. Is there something wrong? I mean, did, could it possibly be mm. that these guys are actually all collectively running this aerobically uh, compared to so, some of the other groups that I've worked with and different athletes I've worked with? And uh, it just turns out that it just is what it is. And come back to test some other people and find that, yeah, in fact, my equipment's working just fine. <laughs> It, 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 yeah, it's just it's just a unique segment, and I won't go into great detail about it. But yeah. but take into account if this is in fact true, all of the predictions that you look at, equations that they're that are prescribed for determining your threshold, are thrown out the window. Okay. So the guesswork is even that more less likely to be accurate. Oh, uh, so therefore you get this test with you and then you're you're going to get the number that you really need exactly right you can't you can't predict it it's uh, predicting for ocr athletes is probably tougher to do than almost any other segment that's fascinating yeah wow huh so we're gonna go go just real quick we're gonna go to kansas city april 1st and 2nd going to tampa uh, april 8th and 9th cincinnati may 6th and 7th and then we're going to Austin, Texas the following week. Going to go back down and visit Yancey. We're going to do a – he's wanting me to come back out that way, and there's some other guys out there want me to come. Then we're going to Killington, and we might adjust this date. We had the July 29th, 30th, but it turns out there's some races in and around that time that might not work. I'm trying to get Hunter McIntyre to come with me, and um, it's too close to some of the other race dates, so we're going to probably have to move that back to, like, the 22nd. But I really, really had a good time in Killington last year, uh, short of the fact that it was snowing and, and raining and and all that. But um, the host there, Patrick Kitchen, he runs this Cortina Inn, and he's basically given us carte blanche. We basically own that place while we're there. And it's smack dab in the middle of, middle of Killington. And the, the it's going to be in July. It's going to be beautiful. So I'm very much looking forward to that. And then we're looking to go to Phoenix, Arizona for November 18th and 19th. All of which you'll find the dates, the deadlines for these events on the naturalrunningcoach.net. Naturalrunningcoach.net. Go there, and if you just select what it is you want to do, whether it be the gold package, silver package, bronze package, you select it. Don't worry about whether we're going to know where you are or where you want to be because we're going to call you. Once you've registered, we're going to call you to schedule your appointments, and we're going to make sure we know who you are and what events you're hoping to attend, and we're going to get that all squared up. Don't be fearful of it. Just go ahead and register. It's all going to come back to us, and if if we need to make any adjustments, we'll do that with you personally. Well, it sounds like I might want to schedule for the, the Killington one. That sounds like the fun one. Well, it's going to be. Well, you know what? They're they're all they're all a lot of fun. Yeah. All, all of them have their uh, own unique flavors. I've not been to Cincinnati for this type of thing. I told you that I have a sister in Cincinnati, so I'm kind of looking forward to to visiting them. And I'm from Michigan, by the way. Okay. So didn't all right. don't know if you knew that. We won't hold that against you. Yeah. Well, you know, we used to hand it back to you in, in football. That's right. But. Uh, no, but Cincinnati is real close to where where I grew up, uh, so cool. I'm familiar with the territory. We've been to Texas, we've been to Vermont, a few places we haven't been yet, so we're we're looking forward to it. Yeah. Hey, uh, one question on day two before we wrap up here: uh, what what's kind of the timeline for day two? Starting what time? We're going to probably up? start at eight o'clock in the morning. Okay. And we'll probably be done with the day by one o'clock in the afternoon. Okay. So not a not an all day. No, 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 no. And, and, and okay. if people come to this and they're concerned that they're a little put out, that they're physically put out, don't worry about it, because you're really not going to have to do a lot of intense running. Right. right. It's going to be more about education. You're going to learn. Mm-hmm. There'll be some standing around listening. You'll be doing some drills, but you know it's not about whether you run faster than the next guy. As a matter of fact, we're going to slow everybody down to get things working properly before we start playing, and um, it's it's not it's a very non-intimidating environment. Regardless of what level of athletes you are, 
you want to do this. And I'll tell you what, the newer you are to the sport, the more important it is you show up. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's what I'm thinking is people that are just getting into this running craze of, you know, I want to go run a half marathon or something. Stupid. Yeah, let's let's get you running properly and then go go enjoy your runs, not, yeah. you know, fear them. You know, the irony of it is, is most of the information that's available to you online about running they don't start with how to run. They start with run five miles, then run seven miles, then run That's eight right. miles, then you know get to that place where you hurt yourself, take right. two weeks off, feel bad about yourself, try it again, go back and run five miles, go run seven miles. It's really ridiculous, you know. You need first the training manual, how to run, right? Yep, it's a skill. It's a skill. The desk that I'm looking at is a stand-up desk. Mm-hmm. The first thing you have to do is learn how to put it together before you start functioning with it. That's true, because it doesn't do much good on the floor. So. Now, Chris, so there were some questions that people had, just kind of global stuff. Do you still have access to those questions? I'd like to address a couple if we could, but while well, we got a few more minutes. Um. Yeah, let me see. So one was from, let's go with Tim's question, Najkowski. He says he'll run, he'll race, you know, four to six times a month, and then – not and go a few months without a race and he's he's a master's runner he's saying you know how much racing is too little too much um what are your thoughts on that topic well off the top when you tell me he's a master's running runner and he's doing four to six races a month i think that's far too many races okay uh most of the athletes that i coach they you know they do like most of you guys do they sign up for a weekend adventure where they'll maybe do a sprint one day, a super the next day, or a super in a, in, a, in a beast or something like that. I don't like my athletes doing that. I like my athletes to gear up for an event, do that event. Because if you go into a weekend and you're trying to be competitive, there's very little likelihood that you're going to be successful in both events. Um if you go hard in one event, you're going to suffer in the next event. Right. Uh, depending right. on which one you push the hardest in is going to, going to uh, tell the tale and what, which one you're going to suffer in. I like a guy to gear up for an event. And, mm-hmm. and I like to have a little bit of time to prepare for those events. So there in itself is the savings that are necessary in order to be able to afford these type of trips. If you were to cut your racing in half, and maybe a 10. If you're at a, like I've got a, one of my clients is going to, uh, well, not one, several of my clients are going to uh, Phoenix um, this weekend. Is, there, is it Phoenix? It's, I know it's in, it's in Arizona. Arizona yeah. Right? yeah. But um, they're like, well, I was going to do the super in the sprint. Said, no, you're not. <laughs> Pick one. Pick the one that matters to you. Pick the one that you're going to crush. Hang out for the second one. Maybe go out and if you're if you're going to race the second day, go out the first day and just experience the course a little bit, shake your legs out a little bit, get get some of the jitters out, hydrate, feed, stretch, get ready, race the next day. Right. But, but you know you can still enjoy the experience without having to race both days, and then podium one day, as opposed to coming up short on both days. Yeah. Yep. Um, That's what- so the the bigger picture in respect to the question is how many events can I do in a year? Well, it really depends on how well your training is going. If you're running into hurdles with the way you approach your training and you get injured often, then those injuries are really cutting into quality training. If you're finding flat spots in your training because there's issues with the way you're approaching your training, um, there's so many things, but if you're really progressive, if you dialed in and you're really progressive with your training and your volume's up, and mm-hmm. you, you know, you, you probably are aware the common denominator with most of the successful athletes in the sport is they have a high volume of training going off yeah. and, and they're able to get it done. You get guys like uh, Ryan Atkins. He has been running in the neighborhood of 60 to 70 miles a week for the past 10 years. Yeah. Now, he, you could call him up on Wednesday and say, hey, do you want to race on Saturday? And he'll be ready mm-hmm. because he's got that volume. He's got that base developed where he, he's got the tenacity to 
to take on most of the work that is necessary. You have somebody that's struggling with 20 to 30 miles a week, and they're pretty much tapped out come Friday almost every week anyway, just from the volume. And then they want to race on Saturday, and then they, they, they basically are beating themselves to death. And then they're going to beat themselves to death a little bit more on Sunday. And then what ends up happening is they need Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday to get back to some semblance of, of order before they're able to even consider doing any quality training come Thursday, Friday, or Saturday. And but I think when you, when you get bit by that OCR bug, you would have signed up already for a, a, a race that following weekend. So No, I get it. I get it. Yeah. And I run into that all the time with my own clientele. It's like I'm always like trying to cut them back and cause them to rain back. And then what ends up happening is the races that they do attend and do race, they do better at them. And not only that, but you're allowing yourself a little bit more time to prepare. Obviously, preparation is key. If you're not prepared for these races, you're not going to do well in them. You're just going to hurt yourself. And then the bravado, it kills me when they all get excited about, oh, you know, uh, uh, what is it, Spartan the F up, right? You know, right. just take it, man. Just take, oh, yeah, you're <laughs> bleeding through the head and nose. That's okay. We're going to race again tomorrow. The bleeding will stop by then, right? Yeah, absolutely. Nah, I, I don't know. I just don't roll like that. I, I, I like success. I tell people all the time, I train winners, not not survivors. All right, that's fair. I like that. Yeah. Like that. Well. Okay, uh, another question here, maybe one more. Uh, and this one's a real serious one from Bill Brumbach and Jeffrey Cochran. Um, so they think that you and Hunter would make a good father-son combo. When is when are the adoption papers going to be final? <laughs> I knew that was coming. Well, look, so, you know, so I'll tell you what, work. here's the deal. Here's the deal. Yeah. There's two things that are that are working here. First of all, Hunter lives relatively near me. He's about 45-minute drive from me. When he sought me out and we started working together, he started seeing some improvements in the way he was performing. If you ask him, he will tell you that when he gets together with me and we get serious, his performance has improved dramatically. He starts killing the competition when everything works out as we hope it will and and all those people that know him know that lots of stuff happened with him i mean he just got back from this l'oreal hair gig Mm -hmm. in in barcelona where he should have been with me training you know i understand you know i mean it was it's probably a great gig he probably made good money on it i i i applaud that um when we're talking about the the uh, Broken Skull Ranch thing. I mean, clearly, I try to talk him out of some of those events. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the payday was too good, and he was too good at it. So, But at the end of the day, we've developed a relationship. I've worked with him. We know each other. He confides in me. I have a son, a little older than he is. But uh, we have a good relationship, good working relationship. I like Hunter. I think he's a great athlete. I, being a coach, being a clinician, it's fun for me to have this thoroughbred in my stable to work with because I learned from it. Uh, just well, like it, having a chance to work with Rose or some of the other top athletes in the sport. Yeah. Well, it just came to mind here. How many times have you actually tested Hunter? I've only physically tested him twice. Okay. And I tested him initially when we first started training, I wanted to get a sense of what was going on with him so I could make decisions about how to train him. Yep. And we kind of got away from it for for a while. And for some people, it gets a little spooky. But we we've always kind of worked with the numbers that we had. And because I'm working with him closely, I'm I'm constantly on top of him for the way he moves and things like this. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you know it, but when we first met, he was running about 18 to 20 miles a week. And leading into World's Championships last year, he was up to 85 miles a week at altitude. He was able to put on more mileage successfully than he ever has in his career. And, you know, there's some other things that came into play, I'm sure you're probably aware, that uh, got, in the, got in front of his ability to to succeed. Right, but, right. But I don't think it was a function of his fitness or lack there, thereof. He was he was definitely a game boy. He was ready, mm-hmm. ready to go. So um, I, I, I think Hunter's got a dad that uh, he, probably, he probably wouldn't want to trade for me. All right, so we'll put the adoption papers on hold for a little while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, and if he doesn't, right. by the way, if he doesn't show up on Saturday, I'm kicking him to the curb. <laughs> is he? He's training with you Saturday. Yeah, he's supposed to be here Saturday. Okay. He's been sick. He's had. A, he's had a little bit of a flu, and the, the weather out here has been crap. So. Yeah, so he's not going to be in Arizona. Uh no, racing. he's not. No, he's not racing. No. Got it. Okay. Uh, do we have time for one more? Sure. The last one. All right. Last question. Uh, you reviewed a couple of uh, nutrition books recently. Yeah. Which one do you recommend for the OCR athlete? Like there's the Nutrition for OCR Athlete by Josh Stride, or you also talked about the Endurance Diet uh, by Fitzgerald. Is uh, there one you would recommend people, people look into? Well, gosh, you, you're putting me on the spot. Or both. You can say both. If well, okay, so here, l- let me be honest, okay? You know, mm-hmm. uh, I'm old, so I get creative license. Yep, you're good. Um. I met Josh recently. Faye Stenning asked me if I would do some work with him and get him on the show, and and I did. And and he sent me his book, and I read it. And there was nothing about the book that offended me. Okay. Uh, He he was on the same page with me in respect to what was the reasonable thing to do where nutrition is concerned. Okay. might have been a few things that I might not – be a hundred percent with, but for the most part, it's a pretty sound book. So he's not pushing like the fat adapted. No, diet, no, no, no. High carb diet. No, versus... no. Contrary okay. to all that, he, he, he has a really good sense of how feeding should go down. So, okay. um, and quite frankly, when Faye asked me, would I do an interview with him? I said, have him send me a book. And he mm-hmm. did. And I, I needed to get a show up. So I, I, I sped read through the book and everything looked good. So I said, let's do this. Had he been one of those guys that was banging the drum about being fat adapted or deplete your carbs and all that crap, I probably would have not done the interview with him at all. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, now, Matt Fitzgerald and I have been friends for about a decade, and I, I've known him. He's participated in workshops I've done with me before on nutrition. And the thing about Matt is he's a journalist. He's a good okay. journalist. He does the due diligence. He does the research. And he's so um, well uh, written at this point in time, pun intended, that mm-hmm. he, he gets uh, he gets good deals with the publisher. So he wanted to go and travel the world and meet up with you know a majority of the greatest endurance athletes on the planet. And the focus was to get a sense of how they feed. He went to Kenya and trained with some Kenyan athletes. He went to Europe and trained with some professional cyclists. He worked with some rowers, cross-country skiers. And the common thread among all of these athletes were that they all ran at the same type of diet, which was kind of interesting. And the carbohydrate intake of these athletes was running upwards of 70%. Okay. And the, the sheer volume of food and the way they fed, you have to give it consideration. I mean, these are people that are winning. These are uh, Olympic athletes, Olympic gold medalists, world champions. And across the board, what you find is, well, what, what you're not finding is somebody that's saying, oh, I'm on the fat-adapted diet. Right. You know, right. or, oh, I'm trying to cut my carbs out because they make me fat. <laughs> you know? Yep. Yeah. So um, I guess the answer to the question is, I, number one, I thought the endurance diet book was a very good one. Mm-hmm. And I look at my bookshelf here. There's a couple others that Matt has put out. But I would suggest going to mattfitzgerald.org, I think it is. Okay. And um, look at his, uh, you know, his library of books he has available. He's probably got five or six really good books under nutrition, now it comes to me. One of them was Making Race Weight, which I thought was a really good book. Okay. He co-authored a book with a, a nutritionist from Canada by the name of uh, Georgie Fear, which is an amazing um, cookbook. Oh, which, all right. And same th- – I mean, you, when you start getting around people that know that business, you're going to find that the commonality is that they don't do stupid stuff. They really don't. So – but – yeah, I'd be okay with Josh's book, and mm-hmm. you know what the heck? It's not that much money. I'd get them both. Okay, there we go. So, well, cool. Well, and that race weight one—that sounds interesting because I kind of jokingly say, "Well, I've got to get down to my my fighting weight yeah. when it comes to 
there are these races that are coming up. Um, you should read that book. It's a good one. Okay. Interesting. I'll Make, look into that. Making Racing Weight, I think it's called. Making Racing Weight. Okay. I'll look that up after the call. All right, guys. Okay. Get registered. Don't wait, because if you wait, you might find out that you're going to come up wanting. I can only test so many people, and I will shut it down. I'm only going to be there so many days. I can't, like, say, well, you know, we've got 17 people, so I'll stay three extra days. It's not going to happen. All right? So we're going to, we're going to get it done, get in line, sign up, do it now, and hopefully we'll see you at one of these locations, preferably given that uh, this is Chris's stomping ground. We're going to see him in Cincinnati. Absolutely. Thanks for your time, Richard. Thank you, sir. All right. Take care. You too. Well, friends, it's time to bring another show to a close. Be sure and tune in to us next week. We've got a lot of great content in store for you. I want you to tell your friends to check us out. You can always find us on Facebook. Simply go search the Natural Running Network. Drop us a message. I'd love to learn more about you and the things you do. And until then, you have an amazing day.